you do that in a virgin highlight too. Mm -hmm. People see that when they open up their highlights, it's the same thing. It's a heavy application at the top and they almost are wiping it off in the foils as they go down. And so they look at it and it's like pale yellow and kind of a yellow to gold mm -hmm. through here in spots. And they're like, I don't, you know, the product doesn't lift. Baby, it's not the product, it was the application. Oh, boom. Oh, that was a serious. That was solid. I think my eardrum. I think we're ready to start. I think that's what it is. I know we're ready to yeah. start. I know you're drinking Red Bull again. Yeah. You know what is, they say. You know what you say. I think you're hooked on them is what I say. <laughs> it's your fault. Whatever. Whatever. What'd you say? Whatever. Whatever said. said on Red Bull. Well, this this is going. This is being recorded and yeah. it's going to go public. Got Usually it. we have a vow of silence when it comes to our Red Bull drinking, which you're breaking <laughs> right, right now. now as we yeah. speak. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shop Talk, brought to you by 124Go. I'm your co-host, Chris Lumay, sitting here with my great bud, Mr. John Palmieri. Singing. Do you like the tremolo? I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have a very special guest today, somebody who uh, I'm super excited about. When you brought this to the table, John, I mean, I'm giving you a lot of credit lately, just so you know. I'm, we're building Listen, up to something Listen, I told here. you I would Venmo you as soon as my phone works again. It's broken. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Well, those are those can't. androids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do have a, a, a very special guest today. Uh, and I don't know why I didn't think of her first before mm -hmm. you did. So I'm I'm actually jealous, envious, all those things. Um, Courtney, I'm always thinking of you is what he's saying. Yeah. But uh, not only Courtney. So uh, our guest today is Courtney Von Berg. First of all, welcome, Courtney. Hi, guys. Thanks and for having me. You're thank thank you for taking the time and I always say a few nice things just so you know uh, before we get started with any guest and so I'm going to do the same thing for you even though I just said a bunch of nice things about you before we even started um, but um, Courtney Von Berg uh, the the purpose of this conversation we're going to talk about this ABCH uh, American Board of Cosmetology Association um, I think it is right no American. American Board of Certified Hair Colorists. American Board of Certified Hair Colors. I said Board of Cosmetology, but you guys can all see where my brain went there mm -hmm. for a second there. Um, uh, but Courtney, you know, I was just telling you this offline. You're one of my favorite go-to people as it relates to any great foundational questions around making taking hair from one color and turning it into another color. Right. And we were just talking about, you know, your journey with that. I've watched you teach thousands of people. Um, I've watched you write a certification in your inside of your Kuhn artist role. Um, I know you're an artist with Kuhn Hair Cosmetics. You've been with them for a long time. You teach at their academy. You've created uh, programs for their academy. All the while, while having a split personality where you've taken those skills outside of any branded function, which I think is really interesting nowadays um and you know no matter where the person what hair color brand they wanted to use what you know whatever you guys helped those people to become certified in hair color meaning uh the foundations of hair color you know the color wheel what you know when when i apply this to this i'll get this um and then um all those processes so it's it, it's just you're so grounded in that area that when, again when john brought it up it was like oh god yeah we got we have we have to have courtney on because you're such a wealth of knowledge so um i think there's a million different ways we can take this conversation as always mm -hmm. um 
So why don't you take us out? I'm going to start. Courtney, thank you again for being here. I'm going to start with my favorite place to start, which is I want to know how you got into the industry. How hairdressing? How did this happen to you? How were we so lucky? Tell us all about it. Um, well, like I said, thanks again for having me. And now that I have that in recording, I'll just play it all the time. The nice thing. So that'll be my mood, mood elevator. So thanks for that, guys. I want to, I'm going to interrupt you already. Already? I'm sorry. Jeez. Uh, you're also a full-time hairstylist in, in, uh, in a, the salon and a very busy one for that matter. So, um, I just wanted to complete the portrait I was painting before you got started on that. So, um, you're, you're not only one of those people who talks about it like me, but you're somebody that actually does it, you know, on a day-to-day basis on a full scale. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So John, to answer your question, I mean, in the shortest terms, it was kind of an accident. I, I was somebody that had a college plan and a life plan from like eighth grade. I mean, I knew where I was going to go, what I was going to do and had that vision and got to college and thought, what the hell was I thinking? And it was like, nope, wrong vision, not for me. And I was really kind of at a loss and through a natural disaster and a couple moves, I ended up out West with my mom while my dad had to work overseas. So it was a temporary thing. I had a cousin that did hair and was successful. And she was like, you know, it's something you can do while you figure out what you really want to do. So I went into it as a option, as a kind of a holding pattern until I really figured out what I wanted. And when I moved to Tennessee, which is where I am now, I was fortunate enough to get into a salon that um, showed me that there was more to do than what I thought there was and really opened my eyes to education. And I kind of, it sparked something. And from there, it was like, no looking back. I've found my passion, my love, my creativity, and it's brought a experience where I can use both sides of my brain. Mm -hmm. So I can be as creative as I want, but I can also be as much of a critical thinker and, and work my way through things that way in different journeys. And I mean, it's almost, I hate to say it, but in October, it'll be 30 years ago that I started cosmetology school. Congratulations. So it's, I know, I can't believe it's been that long. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm just hitting my stride, to be honest, though. You know, I've been in it a long time, but I feel like I'm just now like, woohoo. I think, I think around October is my 30 year since I enrolled in cosmetology. That's going to be two, that it would have been 1991. No, yeah. it was a year before. It was a year before. Darn, I thought we were same, same on that. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, Chris, it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kindred soul. It's the Leo thing. It's the Leo okay. thing. That's right. Yeah, totally. When you say that um, you were lucky enough to find a salon that kind of let opened your eyes to a couple of other things that you didn't know were possible, what were, what were those couple things? What were those things that you were like, oh, actually, I'm going to do this forever? The, I mean, number one was education. I mean, from within like the first four months that I worked for the the man that I was working for it I found there are classes to go to and I was like oh you mean there's more to learn because I went in with a very shallow short-term mindset of this is what I'm gonna do until I really figure out what I want so I didn't really put as much effort into it as I should have um, so when I ended up at that salon meeting girls that had been traveling, going to education all around the world for it, and then getting to attend classes. I was like, wait, what? And realizing there was so much more to learn, but also more opportunities. And then seeing somebody 
get up and teach, I'm like, well, okay, that's, that's different. Like I had only seen cosmetology school teachers. I had only seen that limited environment. So that was, that was big. And then just getting a chance and within, I think, I think I've been with him about a year when I got to go to my first show. So then that, I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh. And you saw all the different types of people there are in this industry and all the different jobs and availabilities for opportunity and creativity. And I was like, oh, so that's what this is about. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, I've got a question. Why is it, I think it's really interesting when somebody comes into the industry thinking they're just going to do this through school or they're going to figure it out. Um, I think it's a real big commitment to make actually to do that. But then what, you know, what's the differential between somebody that sees education and is drawn to it and somebody that maybe sees education and they're, I don't want to say repulsed by it, but they're not drawn to it. They're not um, super interested or they don't decide to take that path. Like I know you work with a lot of new people and I know you teach a ton of people. So what's the, what was the thing you grabbed onto that you see some people maybe not getting? Uh, you know, I think that's kind of a hard question. It's a great question, but I do think a lot of it, um, and I hate to say it this way, but I think it's in the way the, the people teach the classes you get to go to. And from the beginning, if that makes sense. I mean, I think if you are in a, in an environment that is very learner focused and treats you, because keep in mind, in my, in my experience, most people that go to cosmetology, the first thing you always hear them say, oh, I don't test well. I'm not good with math. I'm not good with tests. I'm not, they already have like a beat down mentality when it comes to learning. Mm -hmm. And I think if you put them in an environment that speaks to them and their style of learning, then I think the love of learning comes back. And I didn't get that at school, but I got that from the first woman. And I mean, I'll Marie Brendel. I mean, that was one of the first people that I saw teach a program that spoke to me. And I was like, oh, I can learn this. I like this. And, you know, I think that that not to simplify it too much, but I think there is some of that because we have to get away from that beat down mentality of, oh, well, I'm doing this because I can't do something else. Yeah. It's I'm doing this because I've chosen to do it and you're good at it and not everybody can do it and not everybody can do it well. And if we celebrate them more of that, then I think we can cultivate their love of learning. And, you know, it's okay if some people only want to go so far, you know, there's room for all of us to do things. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think, I, you know, not to simplify it too much, but yeah snapshot us on your next few years so you get in there you fall in love with it um at some point you got introduced to education you know you saw somebody teaching then you got curious and decided you wanted to when did you start to enroll yourself as an educator yourself uh and how did how did that whole thing happen um i hate to say it but it was it was a little bit of somebody else's idea my boss called me to his office and I mean, because he knew I had become an education junkie, like I signed up for everything. And I was like, I kept thinking, you know, I need like 10 years experience before I can do this, but I just wanted to learn as much as I could learn. And he got a product in, uh, it was a Zoto's product, Sentience. Do you guys remember yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, it's a, per a perm, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. 
right, right, right. So we had a box of shampoos and stylers and, and at that time our sales rep did a bad job, but he was just like, play with this. And so Ross calls me in and he's like, Hey, you seem to like doing stuff. Do you want to read about this? And then can you do something with it? And I'm like, huh? Okay. So here I am in my twenties and I was like, all right, like late twenties. It's like, sure, I guess, whatever. So I go ahead and just read and I probably mucked up the program and the class, but I had the best time doing it. And it was like, Oh my God, I got to do more of this. So from then I was like, how do I, how do I make that happen? Like, I got to make that happen. So. Um, I think that's one of the things that we discover along our journey. Most of our journeys is that we learn probably just as much, if not more from teaching than we do actually being um, someone in the class. Uh, At least I always found that. I think teaching is learning. I mean, just at the end of the day, teaching is learning mm-hmm. because whether it's you heard the, the information better or you said something that you didn't, something comes out in right. the middle of a thing or a question. Usually it's the audience will ask a great question mm-hmm. that you hadn't thought of before and suddenly you're having to find, either figure out the answer if you can if you can formulate it or find out the answer if you have to, you know, call a uh, call in somebody else who knows the answer. But yeah, I mean, I just think education is—it's a grueling process. It's a masochistic process. I mean, for the most part, it is masochistic. For the most part, oh yeah. I mean, if you know, if you ask any educator, how long until they didn't feel sick? before they taught their first, like before they taught a class, Mm -hmm. most of them will tell you five years at least. Most people will say they had five years of sickness, uh, sleepless nights and nausea before every class. Mm. That's a long time to put yourself through that kind of torture, you know, to put yourself out there. That's why I honor educators so much, not necessarily because they're always the best hairdressers. I think there's a lot of great hair. There's, there's amazing hairdressers in salons that'll never teach. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get them to teach. And, you know, they're incredible. Whole different skill set. Whole different skill set. Mm-hmm. But, man, what, what it takes to put yourself through. That's why I respect influencers so much as well, by the way, because they put themselves through a grueling process. All right. So now I'm sure there's a whole bunch in between, but somewhere along the line you get – uh, sucked in by the whole color thing that becomes your passion that becomes your that becomes your go-to so tell us a little bit about that um it kind of ties in a little bit to what chris was saying because so for me i i always saw myself as a left brain person numbers made sense i love geometry and all the angles so i actually started off with a passion for design for haircutting because you know you hold the hair at 45 you're gonna get this 90 you're gonna get that And the way color was taught to me was very abstract because they couldn't explain why sometimes it did this and sometimes it did that. And it made me crazy. So, you know, I had the three favorite formulas, a brown, a blonde, and a red. And it was just what it was. Like, it ended up that way. You would get one of those Um, three. Yeah. That's what you got. And some people, it was vibrant red and other people, it was a soft red. Why? I had no idea. (laughs) And fortunately, they loved me enough to be okay with it. So I'd be like, isn't that great? That's just what we wanted. Um, Unfortunately, so my my journey into hair color was because I had a coworker that embarrassed me just one too many times when I asked for questions. Mm -hmm. And I do have the 
going back to what Chris said about education, I, I don't think you could be an educator without having the heart of a learner. And I think my going to all these classes and my ability to comprehend the information I was getting, I think is where it was setting me apart is just to be able to retain that information and absorb it and put it to actual use. And I started taking every color class I could find, no matter what manufacturer it was. I started researching, I bought books, I found chemistry books from colleges because I was like, screw you, don't embarrass me one more time. Like I just, she made me to the point that my clients no longer trusted me because she would embarrass me in front of my clients when I would ask for formulation help. And I was like, I'm not doing it, like never again. And I went to, there was actual um, international, what was it, IHE, International Hair Color Exchange. It was down in New Orleans and it was a show and they happened to be talking about this new testing thing that was out. And the first 50 people that had passed it uh, got up and we applauded them and they talked about their journey and my eyes just like went big wildfire. I'm like, oh, that's that's my next journey. Like I've got to do that because it wasn't manufacturer based. And so it was just the research. And honestly, I don't feel like I felt solid in color until after all that journey. And that's part of what that did to me. And I mean, I was seven years into the industry until I felt like I really understood color. And I mean, not to fast forward, but that's one of the things that I think drives me now is I don't want people to have the same journey I did. And I want to set people up for success. But it was through that that I found ABCH and it was through that that I felt grounded enough and knew the right places to get information and to understand it and put it to working use and not just hearing it and going, oh, I know this. It's like I actually could use it behind the chair so let's let's go there because that's that's amazing uh abch let's start with let's start with this what's the point of abch why why do they exist they are a nonprofit group and it's a national standardized level of excellence in hair color so it's a way to really kind of put the why behind all the things that you witness behind the chair you know why that one color worked for that person but not that person and why the manufacturer is going to tell you their product can do this, but then this manufacturer says, no, that's not possible. This is possible. And it really kind of filtered out all of that extra noise so that you could just see the, the clear facts and the foundation of what makes color. And honestly, it's stuff we should have learned in school, but we didn't. So it took your salon experience and put the why behind it. And that's where I think it's so essential as far as that goes and how I found it, like I said, is through New Orleans is going to that conference. And I mean, I got the book the first time and I've loaned out my binder. I don't have one with me, the, the leather bound book now, but the first one I got was three ring binder, black and white. And it was like this thick, it was like a three inch binder. And I'm looking through these black and white pages. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I sat on it for a good year before I was even like, all right, I'm going to do this. And so started studying and started that journey. How many American board certified hair colorists are there on the planet? I want to say between 3,000 and 3,500, somewhere right in there. Wow. So a pretty small group of folks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The few, the proud. So uh, we're, go ahead. I was going to say, ready. you know, so how long has ABCH been in existence now? 25 years. 25 years. So 3,000. So that's like what? Hundred a year, a little over hundred a year. Yeah, well, it's here's what I know about it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you fill in some blanks. 
it's a it's an investment of not only money but time. Right. Um, I so sure. t- t- take us through the process a little bit, and then we'll talk some hair color afterwards. But take us take us through the process because I think it's very interesting, and I I don't think most hairstylists even know that it exists, mm-hmm. or a lot of people don't, and we think it's I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so walk us through the entire process of what it looks like. So the 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 whole process is based up to you as far as how long it's going to take. So some people can be ready in six weeks. Some people it takes four years. I mean, it just depends on how much time and effort you have into it. But the end result is that it's a three-part test that's done all in one day. There is a written test that's 250 questions, multiple choice or true false. Uh, You'll have some photos to look at some real life scenarios and it's all generic information. So it's based on stuff you have from the actual study portfolio and then real life experience we expect you to have. Uh, The second part is hands-on. It's an hour and a half with a four quadrant mannequin and there's seven possible techniques, um, two that are mandatory, which one quadrant has slices and weaves like a medium weave. And then the other quadrant is a highlight retouch then you have a gray quadrant that you can either do a tone on tone or a gray reduction. And then the last one, you'll either do a bleach retouch, a reverse highlight, so like a tint back, or you'll do a highlight low light. And so you won't, those you kind of draw. So you'll end up doing four techniques in an hour and a half, which should be easy, but the stress of the scenario and then the timing, and there's very specific ways we're looking for you to do it and not that we think that's what you're doing in the salon every day it's more of if you can manipulate and control the hair and have the dexterity to follow these things we believe that you can do everything else so it's really going back to um, key key foundational things that you should have high level of skill with And then during that time, we ask you some questions about it, you know, questions like your client might ask, that kind of stuff to to see how well you can speak about color. And then the third part is a formulation where you'll have pictures. They might be before and after photos, or it could be like, here's a problem scenario and you get a little bit of a conversation snippet, and then you have to fill out that and you'll have five of those. And so it's it's a long day. but it's it's really rewarding and honestly i think the best part of the process is the preparation for it because everything that you do to prepare for it makes you question your own work like you start looking at your highlights you start looking at did i really do that as well as i did and um the everything about abch sets you up to be confident and solid in what you're doing but also with communication in your clients i mean that really helps to get some understanding and some psychology behind what's happening and some some reasons why things don't work and everything in between. So yeah, the the prep the prep for ABCH is harder than the test, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, that's like everything in life, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. if you do the work and prepare, test day should be relatively easy it should be in there somewhere it doesn't mean there won't be stress it doesn't mean you know but it should have been in there the the hard challenges that happen in life are the ones you don't prepare for and you know i would almost argue that many i won't say most because i think that would be inaccurate but many 
professionals go to work every day without really preparing for the activities they take part in or at some point early in their career they stop practicing um and which leads me to a question about you know kind of where you want well first of all my next question is you took the test you got abch certified but i know now that your journey is way further with them you're an instructor with abch you've been with them for a long time so turn turn the corner for us and talk about that yeah i'm an evaluator for them so i took my test um been a long time ago uh, back in 2000 and so shortly after that i had actually i had a coworker that was taking it the next year in atlanta and i drove down with her and i just happened to reach out and i was like hey i'm gonna be waiting for her to get done if you need an extra pair of hands and he was like yeah actually come on in so i mean i got to help take foils down and just be in the room um and fortunately because my scores were well enough it qualified me to be eligible to be an evaluator and so through that day i kind of went through an interview process and you know then they asked if i was interested and i was like heck yeah so then i had to go through a year of training to become an evaluator for it so now when people go to the test you know we do it kind of geographically because it is nonprofit. Mm -hmm. so we try to keep our costs low so things that are on kind of the east coast side so usually i do dc and atlanta and Sometimes I'll get a chance to um, go to Chicago or up to Boston, that kind of stuff. But usually, usually on this side of the country, I'll get to do the tests and so help people and look and evaluate and to see if they've met our criteria as well. So what are the, I know it's a hard test um, and I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong about this. So if I'm wrong, you can just correct me on the spot. I feel like during the during the study period when people go home and they have the book and the materials, um, is there some mentorship that happens? Like, do you help people? Do, do they have the ability to reach out, ask questions? Okay. And so you, you do participate in that. What are, what are some of the most common, I just wanted to make sure I was remembering that right. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common things that you wouldn't think people miss, misunderstand maybe that it's like, wow, you know, they've been working in a salon and didn't really get this. And when they have that breakthrough, their color work gets better. Like what are the most common questions, breakthroughs, challenges? Uh, I think the number one thing would be highlight retouches. I think people are really bad at it because they just, I don't know if they get lazy or they don't understand and they just can tend to keep putting more blonde in. And so here you have somebody that just had a soft amount of blonde and you know, four visits later, they're like 90% blonde because they don't know how to blend it. So when they're studying and they're practicing, because that's one of the quadrants they have to do. And so one of the best things I can tell anybody to do with your work, and I do this after every time I come back from a class or I'll do this tomorrow in the salon after talking about it, because it always gets in my head, like, would I pass the test if I had to take it tomorrow? just slowly open your foil. I think we are used to, I don't have an assistant, but I know a lot of people get assistance, but, or we slide the foils out really quick. It's like, just slowly unwrap them and look at your work, look to see how well it blended and how well it matched up. And I think you could answer your own questions about where you would need to, to make adjustments because most people just continue to overlap, which is then why they need to go in and do treatments all the time or why they need to always tone it is because they're constantly doing more and forgetting about the integrity of the hair. And I think that's the 
biggest section that doesn't get high scores. And I think that's the biggest quadrant people, when they see their own work, they're just shocked. They're like, I didn't know I did that. I thought I did better than that. Right. Like that's an eye opener, that quadrant for sure. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Not the answer I thought you were going to, you know, I thought you were going to say toning or, you know, that's really interesting and so true. It's so true. It's incredible. You know, I mean, it's so obvious mm -hmm. that you do partial highlights on somebody for a year. Next thing you know, they're blonde and you're mm -hmm. trying to introduce low lights, take them back. How did this happen? My hair's mm -hmm. not as shiny as it used to be. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, highlights, retouch highlights. What else are some of the challenges that people always show up with? Virgin bleach. <laughs> virgin bleach is a struggle because, I mean, it's not often that we see virgin hair anymore, for sure. But, and I think it's more, it's not even, I mean, the retouch of the, so what they have to do is you have to create an outgrowth. So at the test, you could actually retouch it. But in prep, you have to prepare the hair ahead of time so that there's a strong line of demarcation out through the ends. And I think when people prep that, they don't realize their saturation because it's not often that you get put to that kind of test to see that. And when they're applying bleach through the ends, they don't realize how spotty they really are with their product. And they get super heavy at the scalp. Right. And or up towards where the soft keratin is. And then they kind of almost wipe it off towards here, which is, this is where we need it through that mid shaft. And so they're like, well, why is that light here? And kind of not there. And I think that's always eye opener because they, you do that in a virgin highlight too. Mm -hmm. People see that when they open up their highlights, it's the same thing. It's a heavy application at the top and they almost are wiping it off in the foils as they go down. And so they look at it and it's like pale yellow and kind of a yellow to gold mm -hmm. through here in spots. And they're like, I don't, you know, the product doesn't lift. Baby, it's not the product, it was the application. Uh, you used a phrase that I want to kind of catch up on, soft keratin. Yeah. What is that? That's the first half inch to three quarters inch out from the scalp. Mm -hmm. It's the new hair. So if you think of it this way, <laughs> So if you have kids or you ever were a kid, think of it this way, that's the baby. So that's the soft, think about the bones. It's kind of gelatinous. They're a little flexible. You gotta be a little more careful. Then you get to that three quarters inch out to, depending how long the hair is and the, the condition of the hair, usually mid, mid to the ends almost. And that's like your teenagers, almost indestructible. Like everything is gonna work because it, it's so strong. But then you get to the ends, which are almost like your grandparents. You know, they're the senior citizens. They're a little more brittle. So when you're applying color, we forget that the hair at the scalp doesn't need as much effort. We really contributed a lot of times to heat. And we think it's the heat that's doing it. And I mean, that can contribute somewhat, but it's really the hair itself. It hasn't fully uh, keratinized. So it's almost like your nail. I mean, I have fake nails, so you'd have to look at your nail. But it's like down here where it's that softness where the little like half moon is. Uh -huh. It's soft there, but you get to the end where it's hard. That's the same thing coming out from the scalp. It's soft and then it gets harder. So, so it the, colors differently. So I've heard we, we use the phrase all the time, hot roots. Yeah. That's less of a heat issue and more of it's soft keratin. That hair takes a little differently um, to the color that you that you put on top. Yeah. Absolutely. I love the I love the the newborn mm -hmm. teenager grandparent analogy. Mm -hmm. That's spectacular. The ends are usually grumpy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They're grumpy and they never respond how you want them to. They always do something different. No. Yeah. 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 We wanted red, we got brown. Yeah.
Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. <laughs> Teach us something else about hair color. So one of the things that I thought was really cool in ABCH that I think really changed a lot of how I saw clients, and it's something that you kind of experience when you're working behind the chair, but you just didn't know why. You almost thought it was maybe your imagination. But not everybody goes through the same stages of lift. We're told that everybody goes through going from, you know, red, brown, red, red, orange, orange, red, and so forth. But they don't. I mean, somebody that's naturally a dark color that was born with dark hair, the hair's never lightened in the sun, they've never had blonde hair, is gonna go through significantly warmer undertones as they lift. So it's gonna take more effort, it's gonna take a different type of product, but it's also gonna take more ash tones to control. So you're gonna need more greens or more matte shades. Whereas somebody that was born with blonde hair and their hair kind of got darker by the time they were in like kindergarten, first grade kind of thing, right. their hair is going to lift differently. It's not going to have as intense of warm shades, just like somebody that's a blonde, you know, their hair is not going to have the same type of red orange undertones. And we're told by a lot of manufacturers that the color wheel is the solution to everything. Well, the color wheels are guide. It does show you what's going to counteract things, but it's not your real true levels of lift that each hair goes through because everybody is going to go through it. And we forget that 75% of the world lives in those deeper levels. Mm -hmm. And we kind of forget that. And then we just shoot all the time based on that color wheel, which is essential. And I'm not saying not to do the color wheel, but there's just more to the story. And so I think that's something that definitely change because what it would do is I would formulate how I would normally formulate, but then you would sit there and you'd be like, gosh, that was, that was warmer than I thought it would be. Or, Oh, that went more ash than I thought. So you do that conversation with your client, just ask them like, Hey, so when you were a kid, what, what color was your hair? Or, you know, in the summer, when you're in high school, did your hair lighten in the sun, you know, get a little background like that. And that can really solve some of those. Why did it do that? Like I didn't expect it to go that way. So that was huge for me. And that's something that, um, that and porosity, I think was everything. And I think those really play in because we think of porosity as being it's porous or non-porous, but right. there's a whole range of in-between, you know. This may be um, a tough question to, to answer. When was the last time you were surprised by hair color and, and what did it do? You know, actually I will, it, what, it was just after COVID. So I had a, I had a client, she's Italian. And so she's very dark hair. She's used to having very dark hair and she can't stand her gray and had been coloring her own hair by herself forever, every two weeks. And like, sometimes she used just for men. Sometimes she would use wet. Yeah. So she decided during COVID, she wants to go gray mm -hmm. because she had so much. Cause we were out of work for like seven, eight weeks. And she had missed her appointment right before. So it had been almost three months since I had colored her hair. And I was like, oh, this is going to take some effort. Like, it's, it's going to take a while. So she comes in, has that, you know, very ash, slightly green mm -hmm. level five with some areas being four and, and a good inch and a half, almost two inches of, of you know, 90% white with just a little bit of some gray in there. And she, I was like, all right, there's going to be a process. And I'll tell you what, that hair came up so fast and so true. I yeah. mean, she left, she left looking like she was silver 
and almost blonde. I was like, oh, that, I mean, <laughs> to the point, to the point I was glad I got to cut some off because I yeah. overshot the runway. Sure. That was not what I expected. And I was like, oh my God, I should have done in hindsight. I was like, oh, I know better. I should have done a test strand. You know, I'm a big believer in test strands. And I was like, dang it. But fortunately, because I kept checking on it, but I mean, the back, I thought, well, this is going to be forever. So even though I mixed up as I went, by the time I got the front done, I was like, yeah, you know, went to the back. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's ready now. Funny, I, I actually just had that same experience with a young lady from India who, you know, I, her hair was level one. It was, it was true level one. And even though she hadn't colored her hair in a while, I just had this expectation, you know, it was coarse enough. It was dense enough that, I went in there a little fearful, not fearful. I went in there knowing that I was going to have to be a little more aggressive. And, um, it's interesting. It's, it's amazing when that happens because, you know, I mean, I came back and checked her at 15 minutes just to see if it was, I came back to give her the bad news, mm -hmm. you know, the bad news. It's not moving you right. know, yet. You're going to be here for another hour. She was yellow. And the, and the other thing that got, you know, made me put my suit of armor on was the fact that she had said the last hairdresser made her highlights red. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, in my mind, I was like, well, it wasn't that the hairdresser, she probably couldn't get there. Mm -hmm. Nope. She went clean, yellow, fast, it looked beautiful, but it was a surprise. Caught me off guard in a pleasant way, but it was a COVID miracle. It was a COVID miracle. Yeah, it was a cold, stone cold miracle. <laughs> stone cold miracle. Yeah, that was funny. I was like, if, oh, okay. if I'm, we have a lot of cosmetology students, you know, who listen to our podcast. Lots, obviously, lots of stylists. If you're a younger stylist, if you're, if you're your 19 year old you, 20 year old you, what would be, what would be something you would advise? you know, burgeoning hair colorist, what would, what advice would you give them? Oh, there's a lot, but I think the number one thing is, is consultation. Mm. You have, you have got to nail down your consultation skills. Cause I think one of the things, again, ABCH taught me this, but just the confidence I got through that is understanding sometimes no is the answer. I mean, there's no, but I can do this. You know, it's like, however, here's what I suggest. Cause I think we are such people pleasers right. in this industry and a client shows us this photo and like, I want this. And you're like, okay. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's not what we should do to their hair for many reasons. One, it may not be flattering on them. You have to have the confidence to be able to make the right explanation and suggestion of something that's going to be more becoming because the client's never going to want to come back to you if they're not getting compliments. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't look good on them, whether it be because of their face shape or their skin coloring, whatever that might look like, I think having the confidence in the consultation and also really nailing the right questions and practicing that all the time and understanding that. And I think when you're young and new, you have to have more control over the lookbook that they have because with Pinterest it's 10 photos later that are all 10 different things and you're like ah if you have a little bit of a narrowed view of what you know you can do whether it's in your iPad or your phone or on your Pinterest whatever that looks like mm -hmm. and you can show them like okay so I'm thinking this this look with this tone or somewhere in between that or whatever the way your your groove is but I think having more control during the the consultation is something I wish I had learned much earlier on. Um, and it's something that I still see people struggle with all the time because we really, it's like, okay, so same thing. You feel good. Great. Okay. You know what? 
since we're on the co- topic of consultations, talk to me a little bit about paperwork. And what I mean specifically is, I think in you know, oftentimes with our own stylist, there's um, either some folks like to have a client fill out a waiver, fill out the paperwork, right? Um, some stylists don't um, for whatever reason. But talk a little bit about that. Do you find that's important? Do you think it's an is it part of the consultation? Where does that sit for you when you're working behind the chair on a daily basis? You mean just in a normal situation, or like right now with everything going? On? I think in a normal situation, not not in regards to a waiver regarding COVID, but a, a waiver in regards to because. I'll back up a little bit. You know, it's it's such a big deal right now for cu- customers to come in and they want it, you know, really, really light. And they want to get a nice blonde base because they, they want some fun color in their hair. And that's, you know, a process. Um, here in Georgia, you know, high lift blondes are really, you know, a big deal. Um, and sometimes, you know, not everybody gets that uh, nice pale blonde that they want. It takes more than one visit, right? And I think for some staff, for some staff, I think we don't do the consultation we should. Well, because they filled out the paperwork, right? And for others, there's a need to fill out paperwork, not because you didn't have a good consultation, but because sometimes politely clients forget what you talked about, right? Um, and all of those things are are part of the equation. But I wanted to kind of get your feedback. Uh, what Do you use them in the salon? Is, do you think it's important? Um, I, I mean, I can definitely see the value in it. It's not something that I've had to incorporate until I get into a correction scenario, sure. but I will use it if a client comes in and, and again, I, I'm confident enough that I will make recommendations of like, I realize this is where you want to go. Yeah. I can get you here now and mm-hmm. we can get there by then. Or if I know I'm going to ruin their hair or at least cause their hair to not function how they want it to function then I'm if it's a matter of saying sign this waiver because you're doing it against my orders or not doing their hair I would just assume not do their hair because a bad client will tell everybody a happy client only tells like two or three people so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put myself in that right so but I am a believer of if you are struggling with communication with the client and you're in that realm and if you write it out that they need to initial each line like mm-hmm. if you say your hair will be compromised your hair might have breakage your hair you will need to come every three four weeks to maintain this or you'll be charged for two color services or whatever it looks like yeah. have them sign each line not just the bottom because they need to read each thing that you're agreeing upon mm-hmm. and not just the overall like hey yeah i said i would do this so i i I see value in it it's just not something that i've had to incorporate though i have a chicken or the egg question on this um does does the consultation confidence come before my skill set gets good or is it the skill set has a lot to do with the con we've been talking about this a lot lately Mm -hmm. um thoughts i think it's both i think they happen together i think by having a strong consultation you give yourself the safety net so that you don't get in over your head and so by not getting in over your head you can build confidence because you've set your client up for the expectation of what you've told them you can achieve and then you end up achieving it so then you get confident from that so by setting it up from the front end you can actually feel better at the back end Um, the more your skill grows 
your consultation will grow because then you have more options when you don't think it's something they can do. You give them more direction of like, let's move this way. You know, let's like, I love that idea. That's something we can work towards. How about this instead? Or when they look at a photo and they see this like intense blonde that's done on really fine hair and they've got this thick coarse hair, you know, you can kind of break down like, okay, what is it that you love about that photo? Cool, let's incorporate that this way. And I think as your confidence builds, that consultation builds too. So I don't think the one you do today, this consultation you do today will be the same one you do five years from now, you know, cause you have totally different tools to work with. That's awesome, that's awesome. Dude, I feel like we covered a lot here. And I, and I also feel like there's another conversation with us down the road um, where we really focus more on hair color because I feel like we could go for a long time with Courtney and ask real specific questions and get some great answers. Um, you've wowed me as you always do, just kind of listening to you. Uh, I know wowed. more than wowed. Wowed. Yeah. yeah. Floored, Floored, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm De- pulling away a De- lot. Devastated? No, devastation no. is not it. No. Wowed and floored. Wow. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Totally. Got it. Uh, what are you pulling away? I know there's a lot here. You know, um, I love the I, I love learning more about ABCH. Yeah. You know why that exists, and you know I think for those colorists who are trying to up their game and want to learn more about, and it's not just about the chemistry, right? Although I realize that's a large part of it, but it's understanding how this thing works. Yeah. Right. It's understanding how hair works. It's understanding how the chemical works. It's under it. It helps build that confidence that you just talked about. If I'm working with guests behind the chair. Um, so that I can deliver the best service I possibly can. And what I like about um, ABCH, it's also non-manufacturer specific, right? It doesn't make any difference which manufacturer you're using. Color is color. You know, the theory is the theory. The chemistry is the chemistry. And that's what I like about that. Well, and one thing, if I can tag on to that, just to throw this out there, we've spent the last like year and a half updating the ABCH book. So because it's, even though we've gotten better photos and the binders better, some of that's from 25 years ago when it began. So we have incorporated, so we do discuss like our techniques have changed. We discuss more of what's relevant now and put that into perspective behind that. And same with the photos. So you'll see, and we're hoping to have that book like right now, because we get a lot of stuff from overseas. We can't get anything in, Um, but the book for next year will come out. it will be the newer one. So it will be more updated. Um, we haven't changed the techniques. You'll have to do at the test because there's a reason why those work sure. and there's a reason why they're still true. So, but as far as what you'll study, it, it has been updated. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Cause I think some people, and I know John, you've looked through it and I think you have to Chris, but, um, some of the stuff you're like, wait, I don't even know what that is anymore. So yeah. So I'm excited about that, that it's more relevant to today's and like we've incorporated more on direct dyes and, you know, some of the things, the types of colors that aren't around anymore, we've, we've worked those out. So it is a more current relevant um, information. So I'm very excited about that. That's awesome. How do we get a hold of uh, ABCH if you're interested in the test? CertifiedHairColorist.com. And how do people find you on social media or how do you want people to reach out to get to know Courtney? Uh, I'm Court VB, so C-O-U-R-T-V-B, so like my last name, at Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's Courtney Von Burke. Yeah. Um, you're also super active in the Kuhn Hair Cosmetics Network. And so I know that nobody's traveling and doing classes right now. 
uh, but that's a place that you spend a lot of time on the road. So if you're interested in that as well, I know through CUNE Education, you're also bookable um, probably in 2021. I'm going to guess at this point. I don't know if anybody will ever get back on the road again. But I feel like you guys are doing a lot of education online and different things like that. Yeah, actually, earlier today, I just did a, um, it's called our Perfect Vision class. So it's like a color basics for people that are just joining Kuhn. So uh, did did a three hour class of that today. But if you go on, we just launched our digital platform called kuneducation.com. So all of our Facebook lives that we've been doing, because we've been doing them on Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that, and then all the other, other digital things that we've done through YouTube and that you can you can find us there so you can catch whether it's about styling products or haircutting or color. And can anybody join, can anybody yeah. join the digital platform so I don't have to be brand specific or whatever? Yeah. I know you guys are doing that real regularly. That's awesome. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been really good. Cool. Um, knowing, you know, we've got hair school students all the way up. Any, uh, last words, anything you think we left on the table? No, I mean, you know me, there's always more to say, <laughs> but you gotta stop me. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, going back, I, I mentioned cause, uh, the consultation as far as new people, but I think the number one mistake that is made behind the chair is forgetting how much the hair is going to contribute to your end result. I think we rely too much on the tube of color and forget that it's the tube of color plus the head of hair. So the more you can learn about hair itself, whether it be undertones, lifting the different textures of hair and how they lift, because fine hair and coarse hair lift differently, you know, so understanding all of those different things. And once you have that, then it really does build more confidence and get you better results. So I think just don't forget, it's not just the tube of color that's going to give you your end result. Learn more about the fabric of hair. And the sooner you can do that, the the better you can build clients and the better looks you can create. Because I truly believe anybody can do something once and make it look great. I mean, even home hair people can do something once and make it look great. It's doing it a second time where the skill comes in. And I think that's what sets us apart is being able to to follow up their hair and maintain the health of their hair. That was awesome. Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in, and I love that about these podcasts. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're watching those listens go up. We, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand, it's down by your lap, I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews, you know you want to do it, you know you love this podcast, share it with the world because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets its wings. Did you know that? Yeah, and while that angel's getting its wings, it helps us move up, um, you know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world, helps share the message, and if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are... Um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same uh, in ours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye. <laughs>